to the Business Blueprint Podcast, where we take you on an exciting adventure through our triumphs and challenges and failures in creating and maintaining a thriving six, seven, and eight-figure business. Get ready to dive into our strategies, decisions, and yes, even valuable lessons we've learned from our missteps. That's not all. We'll also bring you industry-leading guests who will provide you with their priceless insights and wisdom. Stay tuned because the captivating journey of the Business Blueprint begins right now. Hi, I'm Charles Hatley with The Business Blueprint, and today I'm joined by Dan and Rebecca, and what we're going to be talking about is how do we build our perfect team. When we're talking about growing our business, we can't grow our business as a singular person, right? You know, unless you're trying to say, look, I just want to be a one-person shop consultant. I just want to have a job um, where I work for my business. That That's one thing. But if you're saying, I really want my business to work for me, you can't do that without putting together the right team. And as you're putting together this team, one of the things that we've learned is how do we make every aspect of our team respect the other aspects? And I always get the, the, the example of how do I make my production team respect my sales team? How do I make my sales team respect my intake team and my intake team respect my marketing team and all down the line? And I love to give a, a circular idea, right? Without, without marketing, Intake would have nothing to do without intake. Sales would have nothing to do without sales. Uh, production would have nothing to do without production. The finance team would have nothing to do without the finance team. Marketing would have no money for marketing. So I really wanted to throw it to you, Dan. How do you set it? Uh, how do you set uh, on the path of even thinking about this team? Yeah, um, it's hard, right? Because we're all programmed to think we have these verticals and these org charts and it is what it is. But at the end of the day, the, the, the circular idea that you have is, is spot on in a sense that you, you have both and they coexist together. And what I mean by that is it's good to have an org chart because you, you want those verticals and you want to know who reports to who. And if you have questions, who to go to, and it's good for accountability purposes. But you want that circle because every one of us works together, regardless of where we fall on the org chart or what our position is. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your business is, right? If you're selling a service or a widget or whatever it is, we all have the same goal. And that is to increase sales, increase revenue, increase profitability, and hopefully be happy going to work the majority of the time. And without those, we're, we're, all, we're going to fail. And so at the end of the day, it starts with hiring, in my opinion, and you have to bring on the right people who believe in what you're doing and that and believe in what you're doing means believe in your vision and your mission. That's where it starts. And that's what you hire based upon your vision and your mission. I know we've had a couple episodes where we've talked about it, but it's worth mentioning again because it, it's so important. Everything starts there. And then once you have that buy-in, you have those individuals who do believe in that, then they're going to hopefully produce and perform well. And then they're going to hire and build their team. And it's instilling that confidence in that, in that belief in that person so they can grow the team and really start inculcating to their team members that we're all part of the same team, which is we want to be able to do better, which is grow the business. And we all have to rely on one another because if, if we don't, then we get stuck in these silos and then you get uh, um, issues arising that either could develop internally or externally. And at the end of the day, the client is the one that's really being uh, penalized because 
everyone in the company isn't necessarily getting along and really wanting to put out the best product. And the best product is going to allow the, the company to grow. So that circular fashion involves a lot of communication. So once you have your teams and you have who reports to who and you know who's accountable for what, then that's where that circular idea, I think, really comes into play because you have to be able to have open and honest communication and feedback because the example you gave, we want to make sure that maybe we, when you start with your marketing, they they go out, they do their thing and intake saying, oh, the phones aren't really ringing or we're bringing in just probably not the best fit client. Here's what I'm seeing and why. So the marketing takes that and tweaks it and then intake gets the, the clients coming in and sends it over to production and production's like, oh, I don't know if this is the type of client that we really want. So how about we, you know, let here's our ideal client, right? Our avatar per se. And then it takes us, okay. So they feel the call. Oh, well, we don't practice that type of law or we don't provide that type of service. So then you don't, you're not really wasting the client's time. And then the, on the production side and then the production, hopefully does a good job with the client and then the client pays their bills. So we have the revenue and then the client goes out and with word of mouth says, Oh, I, I hired this firm. I hired this company or bought this widget, whatever it is. And they did a great job. I highly recommend you, you use them. And so that's how I kind of see the circle and the org chart working together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Rebecca, as the um, owner entrepreneur, you know, the, 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 the um, executive entrepreneur, whatever you, you want to call it at, at this time, how do you handle making sure that all of these, these, these parts function together? And how do you identify when you could no longer manage these parts? Yeah. So both parts are kind of tricky. Um, we want to make sure that we're always getting the feedback, whatever it is, good, bad, ugly, medium, whatever. Um, and so we try to make sure that we, that it's known company-wide that we are open to all the feedback, we want to make sure that we're putting you in the, the right position to do your job the way that that you want to do. Right. Um, and so sometimes you have complaints from from one area about another area. And of course, you never want to say, hey, sales said that you're, you know, being rude or whatever. Um, but we want to take the feedback, then look into it further and then be able to correct or adjust or do whatever needs to be done on the flip side without saying somebody told on you or somebody complained about you. It's just, you know, we we've looked into this and we've noticed a couple of problems and, you know, here's how we propose a solution or what do you think could be a solution? Something like that. But letting everybody know that we're open to that feedback and and regardless of how how good or how bad or how seemingly uh, menial it might be. We want to make sure that we're always working to improve everybody's position across the company. We want everyone to be excited about their position. We want everybody to be excited to come to work. So um, I think that's that's the biggest piece of that puzzle. Um, <clears throat> as far as knowing when to hire someone else to manage, I would say I've we've done we've done well and we've done poorly. Like there, we've got lots of examples of both. Um, but when you really evaluate where your time is going every day, and so that's an exercise that's been really useful for me, what am I spending the most time on every day? And sometimes it takes literally writing it down. These are all the things that I worked on today. What's taking up the majority of my time? Where could I hire somebody to help? Um, and so at, at one point, the majority of my time was going to managing attorneys and and yours was too right so across all of our offices managing 20 attorneys 
takes a lot of time if you're meeting with each one of them for at least an hour every week, having follow-up questions, helping them review paperwork, all of those things. And, and so we both had the realization of we don't have time. You know, I can't, I can't calendar this any better. I don't have the room anymore. We really need to have somebody who steps in and, and takes this on and they can devote a full 40 hours a week to it. Um, so I would say that's an example where we recognized it. We were very analytical about it. Um, and then we hired the right person for that position. Sometimes I would say you just hire because you have the right candidate and you maybe don't, you're maybe not bursting at the seams on the capacity but you have an opportunity and it, you know, we move, we would be ready for this person three months from now, but we're not going to delay it because they're not going to be there three months from now. So we're going to go ahead and hire them and then they can help build out the team, you know, that they need moving forward. Um, so, so I would say those are kind of the two ways is evaluating your time and what you're doing and what you're committed to. Um, and then just recognizing talent when it comes across the door. Yeah, you know, I, I love the idea of, of recognizing talent and, and being in the position to actually take the talent when it comes to you, right? And and that requires a, an extreme attention to your finances. You know, you you can't be running razor thin margins and have your um, your employment costs be ninety percent of your gross income. You know, you have to watch those. Those, you know, not to try to get too much into a financial conversation on this, but, you know, being able to grab that talent when it's there means that you have to be fastidious about your finances from day one. You can't be fastidious about your finances once you identify that talent. Uh, you know, Dan, I'll, I'll kind of throw you the same question of, you know, when you're, you're working and you start identifying the need that I can't do all of the management that I need to do. How do you know that? How do you know when to start hiring managers to put between you and your direct reports? I I learned a valuable lesson on a a, a few years ago when I was uh, tapped to to run a company, and as Rebecca said, you just get so caught into the weeds, of everything, and you really just can't focus on the higher level, bigger picture strategy. And I wrote everything down on what I did and I wrote how much time it took and what my rate was and what it cost me essentially. And, and so to me, I wrote, um, put A, B and C next to all these tasks I did and all the C's are the ones I didn't want to do. So I knew I wanted to hire somebody for that. The B's were a task that I needed to hire somebody for. And then the A's were one that I wanted to do. And so the A's I kept with me, the C's I definitely found someone to hire for, and the B's I, I tried to bifurcate to see, is there a need now, and put out some feelers to your point to see what talent is out there. And and if someone did come along that was a good talent that I didn't want to pass on because they may not be here. And if you've identified the need and you see the talent and you are fastidious with the, the money or the budget, it, sometimes you have to just take that leap of faith and hire that person because bigger picture, it'll help you out. And then that took me out of the weeds to really be able to look at things from a more strategic standpoint and, and, and move that company forward and start really breaking down the silos that were part of that company and going back to the circular column to make sure that everyone felt valued. And when the employee feels valued and they feel part of something, then you get they work harder and they feel at the end of the day that they've actually completed something or they're part of something. No one wants to feel that they're just going to work nine to five where their hours are and they're not accomplishing anything. They're just um, 
a placeholder or they're just a pawn or something, right? They want to know, okay, my job matters to this company and the role that I play is important because then it leads to this role. And and really encouraging the team members to feel that way and the managers to manage that way allows you to get back to your, your circular example, which in, in my opinion, a lot of companies don't recognize that and they're stuck back into the whole verticals and not really having all the accountabilities. They think having an org chart is great and it looks cool and neat, but at the end of the day, you, you really need to be able to determine, are my employees in the right seats and in the right positions? And that's part of the circular uh, motion as well. Yeah, exactly. And you brought up, you know, how to work with people so they actually look forward to coming to work. You know, one of the books that I really enjoy is called Looking Forward to Money Monday by Adam Witte. I, I think, you know, it would be a little bit too hopeful to hope that every single person is excited for Monday as I am. But, you know, we want people to not dread coming to work on Monday. And the way that, that we do that is we focus so much on this idea of employee experience, which we've talked about so much, and, and how to make every part of the business respect the other part. You know, if you have, like Rebecca said, a, a failure of respect between even two people that are communicating over some form of communication, that can drive, like, between production and uh, fi the finance department. That could drive so much disdain because the production department's talking about about the finance department, finance department's talking about the production department. It's just because two people. And mm -hmm. you could jump in there and say, hey, let's fix this, this whole problem. And that comes from, like you said, Dan, getting out of the weeds. When you put the, the right managers in place, they're going to be able to devote 40 hours a week towards those, the, those teams that, you know, for me, I like to break it down to percentages. I'm very honest with the people that I, I directly manage now. You know, on this particular issue, I'm giving you 8% of my brain because the other 92% of my brain has to be focused on these other issues. That's not fair to you. When I fall below about 15%, I know it's time for me to hire a manager and get somebody in there that's going to give you 100%. Uh, and that's very tough because it, it's not cheap. <laughs> it, it's not cheap at all. And, and so, Rebecca, how did you, in, in hiring your, your first manager, really digest how much it cost and how long did it before it was before you actually saw an increase in overall production because you're pretty much not from a manager going to see an increase and in, you're not going to see a direct line profit from them but how long before you saw like oh well things are going better right so i would say it didn't take very long at all especially um in talk in looking at managing attorneys and mm -hmm. having someone who's really knowledgeable with litigation who can answer questions who can help you figure out how to do cases and how to take all the right steps that you need to do. Um, it made everybody else so much more efficient and also took, you know, some of that weight off of, of just feeling like you didn't have the time or the access or the mentorship. Right. So mm -hmm. having that little bit of relief and then you can kind of slow down and take your time and, and do what you need to do on all of your cases. Um, you know, I would say in that example, it was a month maybe <laughs> that we saw a, a difference financially. Um, and I, you know, I can certainly see with other positions where it'll take longer, maybe it's three months, maybe it's six months. But if you have someone who really knows their department, they know the pieces they need to put together, they know how to, how to utilize what you have and how to improve it, you're going to see an overall improvement and you're going to have happier people who are then 
delivering happier customers, right? So again, it's that whole circle. Um, once you have have happy employees, they're better able to deliver on your mission and your values to your customers. Mm-hmm. And, and Dan, you know, when you were identifying your A, B, and C tasks, you, you talked about the A things, the things that you wanted to do. How do you give up the things that you want to do, like things that you like to do, but is no longer the best for the overall company for you to be doing? That's hard. I, and in and, and complete transparency, it, it's a learning curve. And because mm-hmm. it, it, you're so used to being the one that's making those decisions. But once you remove yourself and you find that right person, and we've uh, talked at length about identifying them as the A player, you have to just trust them. You, you, you take that leap of faith. Otherwise, why would you have that person in that seat? But you, you, you don't want to be the diminisher, right, on that, that book that we've talked about as well. You want to be that multiplier, which the, the book, I believe, is called Multipliers. And, and I've read that book a couple of times. I listened to it on audio a couple of times. I still pick up new things. But it just resonates with me because it reminds me of, you know, my journey in, in leadership and in, in executive managing to where, you know, when I first started, it, I had no idea what the heck I was doing. But that's because... There was no mentorship. It was just, boop, here you go. And it's like, well, what the heck do I do? So it, it really is It's growing and developing employees into leaders and identifying who those are and hopefully moving them up and grooming them. But if you're bringing someone in from the outside, then these are the tasks. Because I I had to hire other uh, executive levels because I just couldn't do it all. And, and, and I didn't want to because it wasn't good for the company. Um, there's certain tasks that I'm just not good at. And I know that. So I wanted someone to be able to come in and, and do those. But you want to surround yourself by great people. That doesn't diminish you as the leader. That actually shows that you know, okay, here's the wh- who I need to hire, what I need to hire for to allow me to succeed. Because I, I want to be able to rely on these individuals to help me make decisions. And and so taking that step back, uh, that, that was the hardest thing. Because even though I had the right people and I was excited that they came on board, it, it still was, okay, here's what you need to do. And then eventually I just stopped. I was like, Dan, you, you, you can't. And it was hard, but I wanted the person to, to grow. And, and, you know, we've talked about this before and it sounds kind of silly, but you also want them to fail because they're going to learn from that. And then as the leader, I'm there to, to pick them up and identify, here's what happened, what you think happened, and here's what we can do to move forward. And it's not a discussion in a punitive way. It's, okay, how can we learn from this and, and grow and what can help the, the company or the firm? But yeah, it was definitely just taking that step back. And my advice to most leaders, you know, you hired the person for a certain position or task, let them do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it is hard. You know, I know that I've had to give up things that I liked doing. I like doing sales. Uh, and I had to give that up and watched sales go up as soon as I got out of it. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it, it is hard. And you talk about surrounding yourself with good people. There are a lot of case studies out there about Lee Coco, who uh, ran Chrysler almost into the ground, but was considered from the Ford Motor Company to be one of the up and coming executives. And, you know, in, in the case studies, they always talked about how Lee Coco did not surround himself with the best talent because he was the best in his mind. You know, he, he, he was the best. And even after he left Chrysler, he was still flying on the Chrysler private plane and draining money from the company to go be the best that he was because he never took the time. Like, you know, Jim Collins talks about in good to great to have people be around you that are so much better than you that they can take the company to the next level. They can, and you know, even when you're talking about something much smaller than taking company to the next level, 
they can take what you are doing to the next level. So, you know, Rebecca, can you give me, uh, other than, you know, the manager, what are other areas where you've watched somebody take something from you and then take it to the next level? Yeah. Um, I mean, the this example you gave with sales is great. And I would say even just with practicing law, um, taking that step from being the one doing all the cases to then hiring an attorney who's going to, you know, take over and, and directly litigate and, and take that caseload on. Um, that was a, a major mental hurdle for me at the time. But again, I was devoting however much time per week to client work and then also trying to do the finances and trying to do some sales and trying to do some of this and trying to do some of that. And, and I wasn't able to devote all the time that I needed to to my clients. So bringing somebody in who then spent 40 hours a week just in that mode of litigation and family law, um, you know, there's, there's an improvement right away. And of course, there's that little bit of transition pain for the client because they know me, they're used to talking to me and now they have to talk to a new person and who is this person and I don't know them and all of that. But once you get past that hurdle and they could see that this person is gonna be more available for your questions, this person is gonna give you more time and attention, um, they all get on board pretty quickly with it after that. So I would say that was, that was a major one of those moments where it was like, oh, you know, as much as I love it, as much as I love going to court and litigating these cases and thinking about these really interesting fact patterns and all of that, I had to to unload that from from my task list every week. Um, and so one one way that I can now kind of like dip my toe in that is we have our MH University where we get to talk to all of our newer attorneys um, each week about just best practices and we can kind of collaborate, come up with ideas. They talk about their problem cases and we all kind of strategize together. And so I love that that now I still have like a little bit of that, but it's it's just that. It's just a little bit. I'm not directly handling anybody's case, but I can still kind of dip into that area. Um, I think that's kind of the the best of both worlds if you can get that. Hi, this is Dan Cuneo with the Business Blueprint. Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's podcast. Please join us next week for part two. Thanks for tuning in. If you found this insightful and entertaining, be sure to hit subscribe below and join us on social media to get more insight into what we are going through each and every day.